The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. David Vendrunen. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. We're continuing the Faculty Thursday series in Isaiah, so please turn, if you wish, to Isaiah 43. Of course, the problem we have every week is that these texts are far too long to be dealt with in any kind of thorough way in 15 or 20 minutes, but um, for that reason, I'm going to look just at verses 1 through 7. So I will read... Uh, Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of God. But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This ends the reading of God's word. Well, the prophet here, as is evident, uh, is uh, addressing something that every single human being knows and experiences, which is fear. Obviously, a universal human emotion. And yet, it's not just fear in general that the prophet is addressing. He is addressing here uh, an an exiled people, or at least he is prophesying, he's giving words that are preparing a people who are going to be going into exile. And we can understand certainly how Israel going into exile uh, would experience great fear. We can just imagine on a human level, The idea of being thrown out of your place of residence, the place that you have always known, and being dragged somewhere else to a foreign people, a foreign city, where you are not in charge. And yet we remember that this exile is not, first and foremost, a political or social kind of problem. It is a spiritual problem, because Israel was exiled because they were estranged from their God. They had fallen under God's wrath and judgment. And the most frightening thing about their exile was not simply the political dimension, but that spiritual dimension of being at odds with their God. 
And of course, we remember that Israel's exile was not just an Israel problem. It's a problem for the whole of the human race. Israel's exile was a picture, a repetition, a recapitulation of the exile of Adam from the Garden of Eden. As Adam fell under the wrath of his God and was thrown out of the garden to the east, so the people of Israel, falling under the judgment of their God, exiled from their holy land, exiled to the east, thrown out from that promised land. And Adam's problem is our problem. It's a human problem. We are all exiles in that all of us are living away from where we really belong, where we were created to be, which is in the peaceful, blessed presence of the living God. And of course, the New Testament calls us as Christians exiles. See this, for example, in 1 Peter. We are, though we are redeemed of the Lord, though we have great comfort, as we'll be considering, we are exiles. We are living away from the place of our true citizenship, the place where we really belong, which is the new creation. And so these words which Isaiah speaks to Israel in preparation for their exile to Babylon are words that are so relevant and so important and uh, so, well, as we will see, uh, words that are words whose comfort we should understand in ways so much better than Israel of old. So let's look first at verses 1 and 2, just consider them briefly. The prophet begins by speaking to Jacob, to Israel. God identifies himself as the one who has created Jacob, who has formed Israel. And in a way, this may not seem to offer a whole lot of comfort because, I mean, God has created all things, hasn't he? He's formed all things. So it might not seem at first that there's anything unique going on here. And yet his reference to the creation of Jacob, the formation of Israel, suggests this is not the creation ex nihilo that he's talking about, but thinking more in terms of the establishment of Jacob as his people in this unique way, as his, his covenant possession. And this is a beginning of an indication of why we need not fear, given who God is and his relationship to us. And then you see at the, in the second part of verse 1, where we find this first command not to fear, and the Lord gives three brief reasons why. That's really helpful because, you know, if, we're, if you're afraid about something and someone just comes to you and says, don't be afraid, that does you absolutely no good unless they have some reasons why you should not be afraid. It's just an insult to be told not to be afraid if this person has no solutions for you. But you notice that the Lord comes and says, fear not, and he immediately gives three really good reasons. The first, he says, for I have redeemed you. And of course, redemption is a, it's a very rich word, and we use it in very general ways often, just as a general word to describe our salvation. But we remember that redemption is, first of all, it's a, it's a commercial term. It's a term about, it's purchase. The Lord has purchased us out of our bondage, out of our slavery. And that's an important way to look, to, to think about God's salvation. He has purchased you. 
He's made an investment in you. He has spent something to make you his own. And when you buy something, you invest in something, you care about it more than you care about things that you didn't invest in. And secondly, he says, I have called you by name. And we instinctively understand that. There's something about being called by your name. You know, there's, there's a place for passing someone in the hallway and saying, hey, man. But it's nicer. It's more intimate when someone calls you by your first name. I'm not talking about the customer service person on the phone who calls you by your first name, who doesn't even know you. <laughs> but when it's someone you know, and that person calls you by name, it means something more than just giving that person the little nod of the head. That's why it's embarrassing when you, you, know, you pass someone that you know and you just can't think of their name at the moment. God calls us by name. He knows us personally. He knows who we are. And third, the Lord says, you are mine. And this relates certainly in a way to the first. He has purchased us, and so we are his. He owns us. And you care about things you own in ways you don't care about things you don't own. If you own a home, you care about that home in ways you don't care about the hotel room that you're just renting for the night. We care about things that are ours, and we are God's. He claims us as our own, and so he has an interest in us. He cares about us. This is why we need not fear. And then he goes on in verse 2 to talk about particular sorts of things. He talks particularly about waters, rivers, and then fire and flame as a way to symbolize the kind of trials, the kind of particular things that may make us afraid, the trials of exile, the trials of this life. And, I mean, we just know uh, waters and fires, they can be very frightening things. They cause death. They cause widespread destruction in this world. And, of course, they have great biblical theological resonance. I mean, the first great judgment of this world was by water in the days of Noah. And the last great and final judgment in this world will be by fire on the day when Christ returns. And we notice here God says, he doesn't say, you are not going to go through the fires. You will never have to pass through the waters. He doesn't say that. That's what we, that's what we really like him to say. He says, when you pass through those things, when you experience those things, I will be with you. You will face trials in exile. Exilic life is a life of fire and water. And yet the Lord has said that he is going to be with us in the midst of these. And he also says, not just that he'll be with us, but that these will not destroy us. They may hurt us. They will challenge us. They will discourage us, but they will not overcome us because we are God's and he will be with us. So with these initial words, now we uh, like to turn to verses three and four where the Lord uh, turns to a bit of a, a new theme, but continuing uh, with the general words of comfort. 
Here he, in verse 3, he identifies himself as the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, which certainly does pick up on this idea of what he says earlier, you are mine. Thus, we may call God uh, our Lord, our Savior. But he says these, uh, he uses this very interesting uh, this interesting way of speaking to give us further encouragement in the midst of our fears. He says, I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you're precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Now, what is, what is the prophet getting at here? What is the Lord getting at as he speaks through his prophet? Well, certainly the Lord is not indicating here that he cares only about the people of Israel and not about other sorts of people. I mean, that could be a way that we would take it at first glance. That would not at all fit the context here if you know, if we were to look back at Isaiah 42, one of the wonderful things we find in that rich chapter is this idea that the Lord has appointed his chosen servant to be a, a light for the nations, a covenant for the people. There is this, uh, this idea that uh, the Lord is uh, going to be calling people from the ends of the earth. Right? The nations are within God's purview. They're within his sphere of interest. There's a universal salvation which is about to be revealed. So the Lord is not making the point that he cares only about Israel and not about any other nation. Rather, it seems that the prophet here is getting at this, this fact that the Lord loves his covenant people so much that he would give everything, everything in exchange for them just so that he might have them as his own. All the world is God's. Every nation of the world is under his dominion. And yet he loves that little little people of Israel so much that it's as if he would give anything in exchange for them, just to have them. And perhaps we... Thinking about a human analogy, I mean, if for those of you who are, who are parents, what would you give in exchange for one of your children? If your child was kidnapped, the ransom price was set, would you say, well, you know, you can have my couch, but you can't have my TV. That's where I set the limit. Uh, you can drain my checking account, but just, you know, you can't have my retirement savings. That you can't. That's ridiculous. If your child was kidnapped, you would get anything you had in exchange for your child. The Lord is telling us, I, I love you so much as my people. There's nothing I would withhold of what is mine to get you, to have you as my own. And of course, that has been proven. The Lord has shown just how seriously he takes that and that he indeed gave what was most precious to him. And it was not Egypt. It's not Seba. It's not some nation in this world. It was his own son whom he gave as a ransom for many. He gave the thing that he loved the most in order that he might have us, his people, for his very own, for his precious possession. 
And then finally, moving, we must move quickly through this text, short as it is. Verses 5 through 7. Here the Lord repeats this initial command, fear not, for I am with you. That echoes what we've already heard, and yet the Lord does give us additional reasons here not to be afraid. Here in these final verses of our text, the Lord addresses the fact that his covenant people are scattered. That's part of what being in exile is. And it's as if in the earlier verses, the Lord said, I am going to be with you in your exile, so you need not fear. And here he's saying, I'm going to rescue you from exile one day. And that's an even better reason not to fear. You see, God's people were meant to be together. We were never meant to be God's people as isolated individuals. We were meant to be the people of God, not the individuals of God. And one of the things that exile does is that it separates the people of God from one another. It scatters them. They are separated not only from their God, but also from one another. And God promises here that he is going to reverse that. See some of the ways that the Lord expresses this. He says, I will bring your offspring from the east And from the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. You notice all four points of the compass. Now, there's, it's, it's actually, it's quite common in the Old Testament to to find this, you know, like the east and the west, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. But it's not common at all for one particular text to mention all four points of the compass. And that is a way to get our attention. It's the Lord emphasizing the fact, I am going to gather my people from everywhere. There is not any direction one of my people could be scattered, and I will not find that person. And then he goes on to say, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. And I think this may be the only time in the Old Testament that Israel is called Not only sons, but daughters. The Israelites are called sons in other places, but I don't think they're called God's daughters in other places, which again should get our attention. It's striking, and it's a way of further emphasizing that this is is a universal regathering. God is not going to fail to find a single one of his scattered people. And in case we have not got at that point, by the time we get to verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, everyone, God is going to regather every single one of his saints. Now, God, of course, did do this to an extent with his old covenant people. He returned his people from Babylon to Israel after the 70 years, but of course, there were a great number of his old covenant people whom actually, who actually did never uh, return to Jerusalem, who remained scattered, who remained in Babylon uh, and other places. How wonderful it is to know that the Lord is continuing this work, and in fact, fulfilling it in our own day in ways that are so amazing. We know 
that quite literally the Lord is regathering his people from the north and the south and the east and from the west, sons and daughters. Every tribe and nation and language are now being exposed to the gospel. The Lord is making his name and his gospel known throughout every part of this earth. And brothers and sisters, today we, we do see, in part, even in the gathering of Christ's church, we see the Lord fulfilling these promises. When the Lord gathers us into congregations, when he gathers us into these even small bodies of believers, we see this work. He is gathering his people as individuals and he's bringing them together. Even our humble churches in this present age are the beginning of this fulfillment of God regathering those who are scattered. And it's a reminder of why the church is not optional, why the church is so important. And yet there is a much greater day when the Lord is going to gather his people together in one city, one holy city, in one place. And there will not be a single one of his elect who fails to be welcomed into that new Jerusalem. That is our ultimate greatest reason not to be afraid. It's interesting in Revelation 21, as John sees this vision of that heavenly city, he says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. You hear the echoes of Isaiah 43. I will be with you. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There will be nothing to make us afraid in that heavenly city. When God regathers his people, when God is with his people in the most intimate and blessed way possible. And so... Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us. You know our trials. You know our fears. You look at your people, your scattered people, your exiled people, and you know that we are in need of help. We do not have resources of our own to comfort us, to assure us, to make us strong in the midst of the fires and the waters of this present life and of the divine judgment that stands against us outside of Christ. Father, thank you that you have made us yours. You have purchased us. You have invested in us. You have made us your own possession, and you do not, you do not let your enemies tamper with what is yours. Father, may we find great assurance that you are with us in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our exile, and that you are regathering us as your own. Father, bless your churches here and now. Strengthen them. 
as they begin this great work of bringing your people together, knitting them together as one. And we pray that you would hasten that day in which we truly are one united, fearless people. So we pray that you would hasten the day of our Lord's return and give us a great, lasting, enduring hope as we look forward to that great day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California, 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.